Salafiyya. Let me state at the very beginning that the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, Rahmatullahi Ta'ala Alayhim Ajma'in, have not mentioned anything in the name of Salafiyya or a Salafiyya Madhab in their books. These names fabricated later by the non-Madhabi following none of the Ahlul Sunnah's madhabs have spread through the books of the non-Madhabis translated from Arabic by ignorant men of religion. According to them, Salafiyya is the name given to the madhab which had been followed by all the Sunnis before the madhabs of Ashariya and Maturidiyya were founded. They followed in the footsteps of the Sahaba and the Tabi'un. Footnote Sahabat al-Kiram, Muslims who saw the Prophet at least once, the companions, Tabi'un al-Izam, second-generation Muslims who saw one of Sahabat al-Kiram and transmitted hadiths from them, Taba al-Tabi'un, the Muslim scholars who saw one of Tabi'un. The Salafiyya Madhab is the Madhab of the Sahaba. The Tabi'un and the Taba'at Tabi'in, the four great Imams, belong to this Madhab. The first book to defend the Salafiyya Madhab was Al-Fuqh Al-Akbar, written by Al-Imam Al-Azam. In this book, Il-Jam Al-Awam An Al-Kalam, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali reported the essentials of the Salafiyya Madhab to be seven. The Ilm Al-Kalam, knowledge of Iman, beliefs, of the Muta'akkirin, those who came later, ensued with the emergence of Al-Imam Al-Ghazali. Having studied the madhabs of the early scholars of Kalam and the ideas of Islamic philosophers, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali made changes into the methods of Ilm Al-Kalam. He inserted philosophical thoughts into Ilm Al-Kalam with a view to refuting them. Al-Radi and Al-Amidi combined Kalam and philosophy and made them one branch of knowledge. And Al-Baydawi made Kalam and philosophy inseparable. The Ilm Al-Kalam of the Mutakirin prevented the spreading of the Salafiyya Madhab. Ibn Taymiyyah and his follower Ibn Al-Qayyim Al-Jawziyyah tried to revive the Salafiyya Madhab, which later parted into two. The early Salafis did not go into details about the attributes of Allah Ta'ala and Mutashabih Nasis, ayats and hadiths with hidden meanings. The later Salafis stressed the importance of details about them. This case is clearly noticeable with the later Salafis such as Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyyah. Both the early and the later Salafis are referred to as Ahla Sunnah al-Qassa, way of Ahla Sunnah. The men of Kalam, who were Ahla Sunnah, explained some Nasis away, but the Salafiyya were opposed to it, saying that Allah's face and his coming are unlike the human face and coming. The Salafiyya differs from the Mushabbiha, those that believe Allah Ta'ala is a material being. It is not right to say that the Madhabs of Al-Ashari and Al-Maturidi were founded later. These two great Imams explained and classified the knowledge of Itikad, system of beliefs, that had been communicated by the Salaf al-Salihin, the first three generations of Muslims, Sahabat al-Kiram, Tabi'un, and Tabi al-Tabi'un, and spread it in a comprehensible form for the youth. Al-Imam al-Ashari was an Al-Imam al-Shafi's chain of followers, and Al-Imam al-Maturidi was a great link Al-Imam al-Azam Abu Hanifa's chain of followers. Al-Ashari and Al-Maturidi did not go out of their master's common madhab in Itikad. They did not find new madhabs. These two and their masters and the imams of the four madhabs had one single Itikad, which is the madhab in Itikad well known by the name Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, 
The itikad, or beliefs, held by the people of this group are the same as the beliefs held by the Sahabat al-Kiram, the Tabi'un, and Tabi al-Tabi'un. The book Al-Fuqh al-Akbar, written by Al-Imam al-Azam Abu Hanifa, defends the madhab of the Ahl sunnah The word Salafiyya does not exist in that book, nor in Al-Imam al-Ghazali's Il-Jam al-Awam al-Kalam. These two books and Al-Qawl al-Fasl, one of the commentaries, to the book Al-Fuqh Al-Akbar, teach the madhab of Ahl sunnah and respond to the heretical groups and philosophers. Al-Imam Al-Ghazali wrote in his book Il-Jam Al-Awam, In this book, I shall report that, among the groups in Itikad, the madhab of the Salaf is authentic. I shall explain that those who deviate from this madhab become people of Bid'ah. The madhab of the Salaf means the Itikad of the Sahabat Al-Kiram and the Tabi'un. The essentials of this madhab are seven. As is seen, the book Iljam mentions the seven essentials of the madhab of the Salaf, saying that they are the essentials of the Salafiyya, means distorting the writing of the book and misrepresenting Al-Imam Al-Ghazali. In almost all books of Ahl-Sunnah, for example, in the chapter Witnessing of Ad-Durr al-Muqtar, a very valuable book of Fuqah, Salaf and Kalaf are defined as Salaf, predecessors, is an alias for the Sahabat al-Kiram and the Tabi'un. They are also called the Salaf al-Salihin. And those scholars of Ahl sunnah succeeding the Salaf al-Salihin are called Kalaf, successors. Al-Imam al-Ghazali, Al-Imam al-Radi, and Al-Imam al-Baydawi were all in the madhab of Salaf al-Salihin. Groups of bid'ah that appeared in their time mixed ilm al-Kalam with philosophy. In fact, they founded the rules of their iman on philosophy. The book Al-Milal wa Nihal gives detailed information on the beliefs of those heretical groups. While defending the itikad of Ahl sunnah against those corrupt groups and disproving their heretical ideas, these three imams replied to their philosophy extensively. Their replying did not mean mixing philosophy with the madhab of Ahl sunnah On the contrary, they purified the knowledge of Kalam and purged philosophical thoughts from it. There is no philosophical thought or philosophical method in al-Baydawi's work or in the tafsir of Shaykh Zada, the most valuable of its annotations. It is a very ugly slander to say that these exalted imams busied themselves with philosophy. This slander was first stated against the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah by Ibn Taymiyyah in his book Al-Wasita, further stating that Ibn Taymiyyah and his follower Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyyah tried to revive the Salafiyya madhab reflects the difference between those who are on the right path and those who deviated into heresy. Since before these two people there was not a madhab called Salafiyya, nor even the word Salafiyya, how could they be said to have tried to revive it? Before them there was only one madhab of Salaf al-Salihin which, as the single authentic itikad, was named Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Ibn Taymiyyah tried to distort this right madhab and contrived many bid'as. The only source of the book, rhetoric and corrupt thoughts of present-time non-madhabi people and religion reformers, is the bid'as of Ibn Taymiyyah. In order to convince the youth that they follow the right path, these heretics devised a horrible trick. They changed the name of Salaf al-Salihin to Salafiyyah so that they might introduce Ibn Taymiyyah's bid'as and corrupt ideas as justifiable and drag the youth into his way. They tried to smear, with stains of philosophy and bid'ah, the Islamic scholars 
who were the successors of Salaf al-Salihin, and blamed them for deviating from their contrived name, Salafiyyah. They put forward Ibn Taymiyyah as a mujtahid, as a hero that resuscitated Salafiyyah. However, the scholars of Ahl al-Sunnah, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhim ajma'in, who have been the successors of the Salaf al-Salihin, have been defending Ahl al-Sunnah's teachings of itikad, which formed the madhab of Salaf al-Salihin. In the books they have written until the present time, in the books they have written until the present time, and they inform that Ibn Taymiyyah, al-Shawkani, and the like having deviated from the footsteps of Salaf al-Salihin, and have been dragging Muslims towards perdition and hell. People who read the books, At-Tawassuli bin Nabi, وبالسالحين علماء المسلمين والمخالفون شفاء السكام and تاثير الفؤاد من دناس الاتكاد A preface to the latter book will realize that the contrivers of the corrupt beliefs called New Salafiyya are leading Muslims towards perdition and demolishing Islam from within. Nowadays, some people utter the name Salafiyya. Every Muslim should know very well that in Islam, there is nothing in the name of the madhab of Salafiyyah, but there is only the madhab of Salaf al-Salihin, who were the Muslims of the first two Islamic centuries, which were praised and lauded in the Hadith Sharif. The Islamic scholars of the third and fourth centuries are called Kalaf al-Sadiqin. The itikad of these honorable people is called Madhab of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. This is the Madhab of Iman, believing. The Iman held by Salaf al-Salihin, that is, the Sahabat al-Kiram and the Tabi'un was the same. There was no difference between their beliefs. Today, most Muslims on the earth are in the madhab of Ahl-Sunnah. All the 72 heretical groups of Bid'ah appeared after the second century of Islam. Though founders of some of them had lived earlier, it was after the Tabi'un that their books were written and they appeared in groups and disobeyed the Ahl-Sunnah. Rasulullah revealed the beliefs of Ahl-Sunnah. The Sahabat al-Kiram derived these teachings from, of Iman from this source. And the Tabi'un al-Izam, most esteemed of the Tabi'un, in their turn, learned these teachings from the Sahabat al-Kiram, and their successors learned from them. Thereby, the teachings of Ahl-Sunnah reached us through Nakl, chain of transmission, and Tawatur, successive, repetitive, multi-chain, so doubtlessly authentic, widespread reporting of original Islamic information. These teachings cannot be explored by way of reasoning. Intellect cannot change them and will only help to understand them. That is, intellect is necessary for understanding them and realizing their correctness and value. All the scholars of Hadith held the beliefs of Ahl-Sunnah. The Imams of the four madhabs related to Amal, deeds, acts, rituals, worship, fiqh, too, were in this madhab. Also, Al-Maturidi and Al-Ash'ari, the two Imams of our Madhab related to Itikad, beliefs, were in the Madhab of Ahl-Sunnah. Both these Imams promulgated this Madhab. They always defended this Madhab against heretics and against materialists, who had been stuck in the bogs of ancient Greek philosophy. Although they were contemporaries, they lived at different places and their attackers' reasoning and behaviors were different. So the two imams' methods of defense and criticisms were different. But this does not mean that they belong to different madhabs. Hundreds of thousands of profoundly learned scholars and awliya coming after these two highly learned imams over centuries 
studied their books and stated in consensus that they both belonged to the madhab of Ahl Sunnah. The scholars of Ahl Sunnah dealt with those nasas with explicit meanings as their direct meanings. That is, they gave such ayats and hadiths their clear meanings and did not explain away tawil, such nasas, or change these meanings unless there was tarura, strong necessity or compulsion to do so. They never made any changes with their personal information or opinions. But people from heretical groups and the non-Madhabi did not hesitate to change the rituals, ibadat, and the teachings of iman in accord with what they had heard from Greek philosophers and from false scientists, who were adversaries to Islam. When the state of the Ottomans, who were guardians of Islam's and the servants of Sunni scholars, shattered into pieces as a result of multi-centennial endeavors of missionaries and of the disgusting policy of the British Empire with all its material forces, the non-Madhabi took the opportunity, with devilish lies and tricks, they began to attack the Ahl Sunnah and demolish Islam from within, especially in countries like Saudi Arabia, where the scholars of Ahl Sunnah are not allowed to talk freely. Immeasurable gold dispensed by the Wahhabis helped this aggression spread all over the world. According to reports from Pakistan, India, and African countries, some men of religious profession with little religious knowledge and no fear of Allah Ta'ala were given posts and apartment houses in return for their supporting these aggressors, especially in their disloyalty in deceiving youth and separating them from the madhab of Ahl-Sunnah, procured them those wicked advantages. In one of the books they wrote in order to mislead Muslim students, in the madrasas, Islamic educational institution, and Muslims' children, the author says, I have written this book with a view to eliminating the bigotry of madhabs and helping everybody to live peacefully in their madhabs. This man means that the solution to eliminating the bigotry of madhabs by attacking the Ahl Sunnah and by belittling the scholars of Ahl Sunnah. He thrusts at Islam with a dagger and then says, He does this so that Muslims will live in peace. At another place in the book, he says, if a person thinks of a question and reaches a correct conclusion, they will be rewarded tenfold. If they miss, they will get one reward. Accordingly, if this were true, everybody, whether they are a Christian or a mushrik, those who attribute a partner or partners to Allah Ta'ala, that is shirk, they would be rewarded for their every thought and get ten thawabs for their correct thoughts. See how he changes the hadith sharif of our Prophet ﷺ and how he plays tricks. The hadith sharif stated, If a mujtahid concludes correctly while he extracts rules related to amal from an ayat karima or from a hadith sharif, he will be given ten thawabs. If he is wrong, he will be given one thawab, which showed that these rewards would be given not to everybody who thought but to an Islamic scholar who had progressed to the grade of ijtihad, and that they would be given not for their every thought, but for work in extracting rules from the nasas related to amal. For their work is an ibadah, Islamic ritual duty. Thawab is given for this, too, as it is given for every ibadah. In the time of the Salaf al-Salihin and of the Mujtahid scholars, who were their successors, that is, until the end of the fourth century of Islam, Whenever a new matter came about as a result of changing living conditions, the Mujtahid scholars worked day and night and deduced from the four sources called Al-Adillat al 
how the matter must be handled and all Muslims handled it by following the deduction of the imam of their madhabs. Those great scholars who did so were given ten thawabs or one. After the fourth century, people went on following these mujtahids' deductions. During that long period, not a single Muslim was left without solution in any of their affairs. Afterwards, no scholars or muftis were educated, even at the seventh level of mujtahids. Therefore, today we have to learn from a Muslim who can read and understand the books of one of the scholars of one of the four madhabs, and from the books he has translated, and adapt our ibadat and daily life to them. Allah Ta'ala declared the rules of everything in the Qur'an al-Karim. His exalted prophet Muhammad explained all of them. The scholars of Ahl sunnah learning them from the Sahabat al-Kiram, wrote them in their books. These books exist all over the world now. The way of practicing a new thing that will come about in any part of the world till the end of the world can be likened to information in these books. This possibility is a miracle, mujiza, of the Qur'an al-Karim and an extraordinary marvel, karama, of Islamic scholars. Indeed, it is essentially important to learn how to do the affair encountered by asking a true Sunni Muslim. One who asks a non-Madhabi man of religious profession will be misled with an answer inconsistent with the books of Fuqah. As reflected above, the youth are deceived by those non-Madhabi ignoramuses from Pakistan and India who, having stayed in Arab countries for a few years, learned to speak Arabic and passed their time by leading a life of amusement, pleasures, and sinning, attained a stamped paper from a non-Madhabi person that is hostile to Ahl sunnah the youth who see their counterfeit diplomas and hear them speak Arabic think that they are men of religious profession. However, they cannot even understand a book of fiqh, nor do they know anything of the teachings of fiqh in books. In fact, they do not believe these religious teachings. They call them bigotry. Of old Islamic scholars looked up the answers to inquiries in the books of fiqh and gave the inquirers the answers they found. But the non-Madhabi man of religious post, being incapable of reading or understanding a book of fiqh, will mislead the questioner by saying whatever occurs to his ignorant head and defective mind, and will cause him to go to hell. It is to this effect that our Prophet ﷺ stated, The good scholar is the best of mankind. A bad scholar is the worst of mankind. This Hadith Sharif shows that the scholars of Ahl Sunnah are the best of mankind, and the non-Madhabi are the worst of mankind, because the former guide people to following Rasulullah, that is, to paradise, and the latter lead them to their heretical thoughts, that is, to hell. Master Ibn Khalifa Aliwi, a graduate of the Islamic University of Jami al-Azhar, wrote in his book, Aqidat al-Salafi wal-Kalaf, as Alama Abu Zuhra writes in his book, Tariq al-Imad Hahib al-Islamiyya, some people, who dissented from the Hanbali Madhab in the 4th century after Hegira, called themselves Salafiyin. Abu al-Faraj ibn al-Jawzi, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayh, and other scholars again from the Hanbali Madhab, by proclaiming that those Salafis were not the followers of the Salaf al-Salihin, and that they were holders of bid'ah, belonging to the cult of Mujassima, prevented this fitna, widespreading of statements and actions harming Muslims and Islam, mischief from spreading. In the 7th century, Ibn Taymiyyah incited this fitna again. 
the non-Madhabi have adopted the name Salafiyya and called Ibn Taymiyyah, the great Imam of Salafis. This utterance is true, in one respect, since the term Salafi had not existed before him. There had existed Salaf al-Salihin, whose Madhab was Ahl sunnah Ibn Taymiyyah's heretical beliefs became a source for the Wahhabis and other non-Madhabi people. Ibn Taymiyyah had been educated in the Hanbali Madhab, that is, he had been Sunni. However, as he increased his knowledge and reached the grade of fatwa, he began to admire his own opinions and assumed superiority to the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhim ajma'in. Increase in his knowledge brought about his heresy. He was no longer in the Hanbali Madhab, because being in one of the four Madhabs requires holding the beliefs of Ahl Sunnah. A person who does not have the beliefs of Ahl Sunnah cannot be said to be in the Hanbali Madhab. The non-Madhabis take every opportunity to speak ill of the Sunni men of religious duty in their own country. They play all kinds of tricks to prevent Sunni books from being read and the teachings of Ahl Sunnah from being learned. For example, a non-Madhabi person mentioning my name said, What's a pharmacist or a chemist's business in religious knowledge? He must work in his own branch and not meddle with our business. What an ignorant and idiotic assertion. He thinks that a scientist will not have religious knowledge. He is unaware of the fact that the Muslim scientists observe the divine power, Sunnah al-Ilahi, every moment, realize the supreme creator's perfections that are exhibited in the book known as Creator and Creation. And, seeing the creature's incapability compared with Allah Ta'ala's infinite power, affirming by continuously glorifying, tashbih, Allah Ta'ala, and perceive that he is far from all defects, tenzi. Max Planck, a famous German nuclear physicist, expressed this very plainly in his work, Der Strom. This non-Madhabi ignoramus, however, relying on a paper he might have obtained from a foreign heretic like himself, and on the chair provided by heretics, and perhaps enraptured with the fancy of the gold distributed from abroad, presumes that he has monopoly on religious knowledge. May Allah Ta'ala guide this wretched person and all of us. May he also protect the innocent youth from the traps of such thieves of religion who use false documentation. Amin. In fact, I humbly served my nation for more than 30 years as a pharmacist and chemical engineer. Yet, Acquiring religious education and working day and night for seven years, I was honored with the Ijazat, diploma testifying to the holder's authority on Islamic knowledge, given by a great Islamic scholar, namely Sayyid Abdul Hakim Arwasi, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhi. Crushed under the greatness of scientific and religious knowledge, I fully saw my incapability. In this understanding, I tried to be a deserving servant of Allah ta'ala. The greatest of my fears and worries was to presume, by falling for the charms of my diplomas and ijazah, that I am an authority on these subjects. How great my fear was can be clearly seen in all my words. I did not write my own ideas or opinions in any of my books. I always presented my young brothers the valuable writings of scholars of Ahl Sunnah that were admired by those who understood their value by translating them from Arabic or Persian. My fear being great, I had no thought of writing a book. When I saw the Hadith Sharif on the first page of As-Sawa'ik al-Muhriqa, when fitna becomes widespread, he who knows the truth must inform others. 
Should he not do so, may he be accursed by Allah and by all people. I began to ponder. On the one hand, as I learned from the superiority of the Ahl-Sunnah scholars, understanding and mental capacity in religious knowledge, and in their scientific knowledge of their time and their perseverance in ibadat and taqwa, I was humbled. I deemed my own knowledge a mere drop compared to the ocean of knowledge of those great scholars. On the other hand, seeing that fewer and fewer pious people could read and understand the books written by the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, and that the ignorant heretics had joined themselves with men of religious duty and had written corrupt and heretical books, I felt grieved. The threat of damnation declared in the Haditha Sharif frightened me. Also, the mercy and compassion I felt for my dear young brothers compelling me to serve them. I began to translate my selections from the books of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, alongside the innumerable letters of congratulation and appreciation that I have received. Now and then I became across criticism and vilification from those that were non-Madhabi, because I had no doubt in my conscience about my own ikhlas and loyalty to my Creator, trusting myself to Allah Ta'ala and making tawassul, seeking intercession, of the blessed soul of His Messenger, Sallallahu Ta'ala Alaihi Wasallam, and those of his devoted servants, I carried on with my service. May Allah Ta'ala keep all of us on the true way he is pleased with. Ameen. The great Hanafi scholar, Muhammad Bahit al-Muti, a professor at Jami al-Ashar University in Egypt, wrote in his book, Tathir al-Fu'ad min Danisil itikad Among all human beings, prophets, alayhimu salatu wassalam, have the highest and most mature souls. They were protected from being wrong, erring, unawareness, disloyalty, bigotry, obstinacy, following the nafs, grudge, and hatred. Prophets communicated and explained what had been revealed to them by Allah Ta'ala. The teachings, commands, and prohibitions communicated by them are all true. None are wrong or corrupt. After prophets, the highest and most mature people were their sahaba, companions, since they were trained matured and purified in the suhbah, companionship of a prophet or wali, of prophets. They always conveyed and explained what they had heard from prophets. All of what they conveyed, too, are true, and they are far from the aforesaid vices. They did not contradict one another out of bigotry or obstinacy, nor did they follow their nafs. The Sahabat al-Kirams explaining the ayats and hadiths and employing ijtihad, for communicating Allah Ta'ala's religion to his human creatures were his great blessing upon this Ummah, Muslims, and his compassion for his beloved Prophet Muhammad The Qur'an al-Karim declares that the Sahabat al-Kiram were stern towards disbelievers, but tender and endearing with one another, that they performed Salat diligently, and that they expected everything and paradise from Allah Ta'ala. Among their ijtihads, all those on which consensus, ijma, was reached were right. They all deserved to attain thawab, reward in the hereafter, but the true is only one. The highest people after the Sahabat al-Kiram are those Muslims who saw them and were trained in their suhbah. They are called the tabi'un. They acquired all their religious knowledge from the Sahabat al-Kiram. The highest people next to the tabi'un are Muslims who saw the tabi'un and were trained in their suhbah. They are called tabi al-tabi'un. Among the people coming in the centuries, after them until the day of questioning, the highest and the best ones are those who adapt themselves to them, 
learn their teachings, and follow in their footsteps. Among men of religious occupation coming after Salaf al-Salihin, first three generations of Muslims, Sahaba, Tabi'un, and Tabi al-Tabi'un, an intelligent and wise person whose words and deeds agree with the teachings of Rasulullah and the Salaf al-Salihin, and who never diverges from their way in beliefs and deeds, and who does not exceed the limits of Islam, does not fear others, speaking ill towards himself. By not following such people that speak ill toward him, and his religion, he does not separate from the right path. He does not listen to the words of the ignorant. He does not follow his reason and thus does not go out of the four madhabs of the mujtahid imams. Muslims must find such a scholar, ask him and learn what they do not know, and should follow his advice in everything they do. Because such a scholar knows and lets people know the spiritual medicines, knowledge of curing the soul, which Allah Ta'ala created to protect his human creatures from erring and to make them always act correctly. He can cure those whose souls are sick and whose comprehensions are limited. Whatever such a scholar says, does, or believes is conformable to Islam. He understands everything correctly. He answers every question correctly. Allah Ta'ala is radi, giving consent to, pleased, satisfied with everything he does. Allah Ta'ala shows the ways to his rida, Allah Ta'ala's approval. Allah Ta'ala saves those who have Iman and who fulfill the requirements of Iman from oppression and trouble. He makes them attain nur, radiance, happiness and salvation, always and in everything they do. They are in ease and comfort. On the day of resurrection, they will be beside prophets, the Siddiq, those faithfully loyal to the prophet, the good, always telling the truth, martyrs, and salih, pious, avoiding sins, Muslims. No matter in what century he lives, if a man with a religious position does not follow the statements of the Prophet and the Sahaba, if his words, deeds, and beliefs do not agree with their teachings, if he follows his nafs and own thoughts and exceeds the limits of Islam, or if he, following his own knowledge, opposes the delicate aspects of Islam and oversteps the boundaries of the four madhabs in those teachings which he cannot understand, he will be judged to be a corrupt man of a religious position. Allah Ta'ala has sealed his heart, his eyes cannot see the right way, and his ears cannot hear the right word. There will be bitter torture for him in the hereafter. Allah Ta'ala does not like him. People of this sort are prophets, opponents. They think that they are in the right way. They like their own behavior. However, they are Satan's followers. Very few of them come to their senses and resume the right way. Everything they say seems polite, delightful, or useful, but all of what they think and like are evil. They deceive idiots and lead them to heresy and perdition. Their words look bright and spotless like snow, but exposed to the sun of truth, they melt away. These evil men of religious positions, whose hearts have been blackened and sealed by Allah Ta'ala, are called Ahl al or non-Madhabi men of religious occupation. They are people whose beliefs and deeds are not compatible with the Qur'an al-Kareem, with Hadith Sharifs, or with the Ijma' al-Ummah. Having diverged from the right way themselves, they mislead Muslims into perdition too. People who follow them will end up in hell. There were many such heretics in the time of the Salaf al-Salihin and among the men of religious position that came after them. Their presence among Muslims is like gangrene, or cancer at a part of the body. Unless this part is done away with, 
the healthy parts will not escape the disaster. They are like people affected with a contagious disease. People who have contact with them will suffer harm. We must keep away from them, lest we should suffer harm from them. One of the corrupt, heretical men of religious position who have been very harmful was Ibn Taymiyyah. In his books, particularly in Al-Wasita, he disagreed with the Ijma al-Muslimin, contradicted the clear declarations in the Qur'an al-Karim, and the Hadith Sharif, and did not follow the way of Salaf al-Salihin. Following his defective mind and corrupt thoughts, he deviated into heresy. He was a man of extensive knowledge. Allah Ta'ala made his knowledge the cause of his heresy and perdition. He followed the desires of his nafs. He tried to spread his wrong and heretical ideas in the name of truth. The great scholar Ibn Hajar al-Makki wrote in his book Al-Fatawa al-Hadithiyya, Allah Ta'ala made Ibn Taymiyyah tumble into heresy and perdition. He made him blind and deaf. Many scholars informed and proved with documents that his deeds were corrupt and his statements were false. People who read the books of the great Islamic scholars Abdul Hassan al-Subki, his son Tajuddin al-Subki, and Imam al-Iz ibn Jama'ah, and those who study the statements said in response to him by the Shafi, Maliki, and Hanafi scholars living in his time will see well that we are right. Ibn Taymiyyah spoke ill of and slandered the scholars of Tasawwuf, purifying the heart, spiritual development. Furthermore, he did not hesitate to attack Hazrat Umar and Hazrat Ali, who were the chief pillars of Islam. His words exceeded the proper limit and decency, and he threw arrows even at steep cliffs, those personages of monumental notoriety. He described the scholars of the right way as holders of bid'ah, heretics, and ignoramuses. He said, Corrupt ideas of Greek philosophers disagreeable with Islam were placed in the books of the great men of Tasawwuf and attempted to prove it with his wrong, heretical thoughts. Young Muslims who do not know the truth may be misled by his ardent, deceitful writings. For example, he wrote, Men of Tasawwuf say that they see the Lahu al-Mahfuz, which is called An-Nafs al-Falakiyya, by philosophers like Ibn Sina, Avicenna. They say that human soul reaching perfection, the soul unites with an-nafs al-falakiyya or al-akl al-fal, while awake or asleep and after uniting with these two, which cause everything to happen in the world, the human soul becomes informed of the things existing in them. These were said not by Greek philosophers but by Ibn Sina and the like who came later. Also, Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, Muhyiddin ibn al-Arabi, and Andalusian philosopher Qutbuddin Muhammad ibn Sabin made statements of this sort. They are the statements of philosophers. Such things do not exist in Islam. With these arguments, they diverged from the right way. They became mulhids, like those mulhids called the Shi'is, Ismailiyah, Karamitis, and Batinis. They left the right way followed by the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah, by scholars of the Hadith, and by Sunni men of Tasawwuf like Fudail ibn Iyad. While getting absorbed in philosophy on the one hand, they struggled against such groups as the Mutazila and Kuramiya. On the other hand, there are three groups of men of Tasawwuf. The first group are adherent to the Hadith and the Sunnah. The second group are the heretics like the Kuramiya. The third group are the followers of the books of Ikwana Safa, and the words of Abu al-Hayyan, Ibn al-Arabi and Ibn Sabin, and the like adopted philosophers' statements and presented them as statements of men of Tasawwuf. Ibn Sina's book, Akir al-Isharat ala Makam al-Arifin, contains many such statements. Also, al-Imam al-Ghazali made similar statements in some of his books, such as Al-Kitab al-Madnun and Mishkat al-Anwar. 
In fact, his friend Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi tried to save him from it by warning him that he had been distracted with philosophy, but his warning failed. On the other hand, al-Imam al-Ghazali said that philosophers were disbelievers. Towards the end of his life, he read the Sahih of al-Bukhari. Some said that this made him give up the ideas he had written. Some others said that those statements were ascribed to al-Imam al-Ghazali to defame him. There are various reports about al-Imam al-Ghazali in this respect. Muhammad Mazari, a Maliki scholar educated in Sicily, Tertushi, an Andalusian scholar, Ibn al-Jawzi, Ibn Uqail, and others said many things. The assertions quoted above from Ibn Taymiyyah show his ill thoughts about the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah clearly. He cast similar aspersions upon even the greatest ones of the Sahaba al-Kiram. He stigmatized most of the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah as heretics. Meanwhile, as he heavily defamed the great Wali and the Qutb al-Arifin, Hazrat Abu al-Hasan al-Shadili, on account of his books, Hizb al-Kabir and Hizb al-Bakr, and degraded with foul words the great men of Tasawuf, such as Muhyiddin ibn al-Arabi, Umar ibn al-Farid, ibn Sabin, and Hallaj Hussein ibn Mansur. The scholars in his time declared unanimously that he was a sinner and a heretic. There were also those who issued fatwas stating that he was a disbeliever. Footnote The profound Islamic scholar Abdelghani Nablusi wrote the names of these superiors of Tasawuf on the 363rd and 373rd pages of his book, Al-Hadikat al-Nadiyya, and added that each of them was a wali and that people who spoke ill of them were ignorant and unaware. A letter writ to Ibn Taymiyyah in 705 after Hegira 1305 reads, O my Muslim brother, who considers himself a great scholar and the imam of his time, I admire you for Allah's sake. I disliked the scholars who were against you, but I was puzzled upon hearing your words that were unsuitable for admiring. Does a wise person doubt that the night begins when the sun sets? You said that you were on the right path and that you were doing al-amru bil-maruf wa-nahi anil-munkar. Allah Ta'ala knows what your purpose and intention is, but once ikhlas is understood from his deeds, your deeds have torn off the cover from your words. Deceived by people who followed their nafs and whose words were unreliable, you have not only defamed people living in your time, but also classified the dead ones as disbelievers. Dissatisfied with attacking the successors of the Salaf al-Salihin, you have slandered the Sahaba al-Kiram, especially the greatest ones. Can you imagine in what a situation you will be when those great people demand their rights on the day of resurrection? At the minbar, pulpit in a mosque, of Jami al-Jabal in the city of Salihiyah, you said that Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala an had had some wrong statements and disasters. What were the disasters? Which disasters did you hear from Salaf al-Salihin? You say that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala an had more than 300 faults. If it had been true for Hazrat Ali, would you ever have had a correct statement? Now I am beginning to act against you. I shall try to protect Muslims against your wickedness, for you have exceeded the proper limit. Your torture has reached all the living and the dead. Believers must avoid your evil. Taj ad-Din as-Subki listed the matters on which Ibn Taymiyyah disagreed with the Salaf al-Salihin as follows. 1. He said, Talak, divorce as prescribed by Islam, is not realized, so invalid. It is necessary to pay kaffara, penalty of atonement, here meant to cancel divorce, paid as much as that, for an oath. 
No Islamic scholars before him had said that kafara would be paid. 2. He said, uttered to a woman during her period, hide, is not valid. Uttered to a woman during her period, hide, is not valid. 3. He said, kada, performance of a rite after its time, of a salat, omitted knowingly, is not necessary. 4. He said, it is mubah, permissible for a woman, during her period, to perform tawaf, pilgrim's rite of circumambulation, around the Kaaba in Mecca. She need not pay kafara. 5. He said, talak, expressed as three talaks is still one talak. For many years before saying so, however, he had said repeatedly the opposing unanimity of Muslims, Ijma al-Muslimin. 6. He said, Taxes incompatible with Islam are halal for those who demand them. 7. Such taxes collected from tradesmen takes the place of zakat even if not intended. For zakat, he said. 8. He said, Water does not become nejs, religiously impure thing, when a mouse or the like dies in it. 9. He said, It is permissible for a person who is junub, state of a Muslim needing ghusl, ritual ablution of whole body, to perform nafila, supererogatory, extra right, more than obligatory duty, salat without taking ghusl at night. 10. He said, Conditions stated by the wakif, devotee of property to a foundation, are not taken into consideration. 11. He said, A person who disagrees with the unanimity of Muslims, ijma al-ummah, does not become a disbeliever or a sinner. 12. He said, Allah Ta'ala is mahalli hawadith and is made up of particles. 13. He said, The Qur'an al-Karim was created in the dot, essence, person of Allah Ta'ala. 14. He said, The alam, that is, all creatures are eternal with their kinds. 15. He said, Allah Ta'ala has to create good things. 16. He said, Allah Ta'ala has a body and directions. He changes his place. 17. He said, Hell is not eternal, it will go out at last. 18. He denied the fact that prophets are sinless. 19. He said, Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam is no different from other people. It is not permissible to pray through his intercession. 20. He said, It is sinful to go to Medina with the intention of visiting Rasulullah. 21. He also said, It is haram to go there to ask for intercession for shafa'ah. 22. He said, The Tawrat, the original of the Torah, and Al-Injil, the original of the New Testament, were altered not in vocabulary, but in meaning. Some scholars said that most of the above-quoted statements did not belong to Ibn Taymiyyah, but there has been none who denied his saying that Allah Ta'ala had directions and that he was made up of particles. But he should not have said these words, beside the fact that, as generally agreed, his knowledge, grandeur, and religiousness were considerable. A person who has fuqah, knowledge, justice, and reason must first examine a matter and then decide about it with prudence, especially judging a Muslim to be a disbeliever, an apostate, or a heretic, or sentencing him to death requires very minute investigation and caution. Recently, it has become fashionable to imitate Ibn Taymiyyah. Some defend his heretical writings and reproduce his books, particularly his Al-Wasita. From beginning to end, this book is full with his ideas. 
disagreeable with the Qur'an al-Kareem, the Hadith Sharifs, and the Ijma al-Muslimin. It rouses great fitna and faction among the readers and causes hostility among brothers. The Wahhabis in India and ignorant men of religious position who were caught in their traps in other Muslim countries have made Ibn Taymiyyah a standard bearer for themselves and have given him such names as Great Mujtahid and Shaykh al-Islam. They embrace his heretical thoughts and corrupt writings in the name of religion and belief for stopping his horrifying current which brings about faction among Muslims and demolishes Islam from within. We must read the valuable books written by the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah which refute and rebut him with documents. Among this valuable literature, the book Shifa al-Sikam fi Ziyarati Qayr al-Anam by the great Imam and the profoundly learned scholar Taqi ad-Din al-Subki rahmatullahi ta'ala alayh destroys Ibn Taymiyyah's heretical ideas eliminates his faction and exposes his obstinacy. It prevents the spreading of his evil intentions and wrong beliefs.